are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. That means that our whole solar system could be like one tiny atom in the fingernail of some other giant being. <laughs> oh, this is too much. That means that one tiny atom in my fingernail could be, could be one little tiny universe. Somehow, somehow, do a Jedi mind meld. In space! Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, or good evening, depending on what planet you're orb- orbiting. This is Pete Mandic from William Patterson University, joined by the indomitable Richard Brown from CUNY LaGuardia. Cool. What is physicalism? <laughs> uh, oh, you're asking me? Well, I could tell you if you want me to. Yeah, I don't know what the hell physicalism is anymore, so why don't you tell me? That would be wonderful. Physicalism is a disaster. Put it in. Okay. Oh, it's a disaster. It's Obamacare. As best as I can tell, it's, it's uh, impossible to give a straightforwardly positive definition of physicalism. Uh-huh. Any kind of account that I've seen of physicalism is in part negative. Yeah. It's, um, it's the view that everything is... Physical, but what the heck is physical? Well, that that uh, is always going to be characterized in opposition to, like, you know, not mental. Yeah. So uh, physics studies, uh, those aspects. But that can't be right. Physical. I mean, you really well, think that's right? Do I think it's correct? Well, I mean, if you look at the uh, etymologies or you look at, like, the standard dic- dictionary definitions, it's always about, uh-huh. like, the body as opposed to the mind or the physical world independent of... Uh, our thoughts and experiences yeah. of it. So there's always like this negative aspect. There's always this. Uh-huh. Um, but is the, I'm not denying that. I'm, I'm asking, do you think the negative aspect is not mental? That that's what it is to be physical is somehow to be not mental. Yeah. Yeah. I that's think the negative I, aspect, because I mean, that seems that, weird. Uh, and especially we use the words physical uh, in ordinary, like as a contrast to mental, we say mental and physical body yeah. and mind, but that doesn't, mean that um, we think of the mind as somehow non-physical automatically, uh, we often distinguish special cases of the thing we're interested in. So we could mean that the mental is simply a subset of the physical things, not, and that way it, it, you wouldn't have to say that by physical you don't mean mental because you don't want to rule out that the mental is itself something physical. Well, I think that we can agree here. Um, so, so what I think is that you can give a positive characterization of what's mental but you can't give a positive characterization of what's physical. So you can say what makes something mental, yeah. um, but when you go to try to say what makes something physical, you're going to have to say something like, um, 
something of the form not mental. Now, mm -hmm. you could do this, I think. Well, why? I don't, allows... I don't agree with that. <laughs> well, hold on a second. That's um, not true. Hold on a second. Okay. Just to finish, I think you could pull this all off in a way that's consistent with the view that the mental is ultimately physical. Uh huh. Not so really. Because you've ruled out the mental as being part of the physical by saying physical means not mental. Uh, well, I put so some there's got to be something in, else I put that some you qualifications could... in there. Uh, you, yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> so what, one way of thinking about uh, what, what physicalism is is it's the view that um, nothing is irresolvably or irreducibly or um, brutally mental. Uh -huh. So, uh, if you want to know what's mental? Positive characterizations would be like intentional phenomena and or uh, sensory phenomena but that's mental stuff or uh -huh. alternately things that have aboutness and or things that have phenomenality uh -huh. so that that's neutral with respect to whether those things are ontological complexes that can be explained in terms of things that are themselves individually not mental uh, so, not fundamentally mental they're not fundamentally mental because they will be mental <laughs> so by analogy you can give an explanation of what water is or in, uh, uh, you could resolve water into relative simples that yeah. are individually not water. You say water is a certain kind of uh, combination of hydrogen and oxygen. Hydrogen by itself is not water and oxygen by itself is not water. Right. And the property of combining atoms is not water, uh -huh. but when you combine oxygen and hydrogen uh, in a certain way, then that's water. So you might uh, say that there's hope for doing a similar sort of thing with intentionality and or phenomenality and if you yeah. can pull that off then you've got see now i think you went through way too fast through like seven thousand different things so the first thing i, I back way I way 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 back up and say i don't think that physicalism is the claim that everything is physical i i i, I, I doubt that that's what anyone has ever really meant by the claim um Maybe there are some people who hold physicalism in that sense, but usually what you find, I think, are physicalisms about particular domains. So it's perfectly consistent to say that the mind is physical, but numbers are not. I mean, that's not an inconsistent view, and there are people out there who say that kind of yeah. stuff, or people who say that the mind is physical, but moral morality isn't, or something. So local like physicalisms versus global physicalism. Yeah, so I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say right off the bat that the thing that I'm interested in is the claim that everything is physical. Although I, you know, that's an interesting claim in and of itself, but physicalism is usually claim that the mind is physical. Yeah. Let's focus on that. Cause I don't know about you, but I'm a philosopher of mind. Yeah. We like minds. So, uh, so I mean, I, sometimes you do hear people making these very, very strong claims that everything is physical. Uh, but you know, that is, do you have to take on the everything? <laughs> I mean, you could eventually start making a case, I guess, uh, piece by piece for the types of things um, and of general worldview that only includes physical things. Uh, right. So that's the first thing I would say is that we want to distinguish claims about whether everything is physical from whether the mind is physical and, and being agnostic at least or open or not really paying attention to claims about uh, morality, numbers, and so forth and so on. So right. some people make that claim. So. Um, you know, and I, I ha we have views, I think, about that, but we don't need to be dragged into all those debates in order to make the claims we want to make about the mind. Now, the second thing I'd say was what we were just talking about. It seems like when you were defining physicalism, uh, so there are two things you, that you said. One thing you said was 
there's no way to give a positive characterization of it, uh, of, of, of what physical is. Okay. So, and the other thing was you said that um, you, whatever positive characterization, characterization you give needs to be supplemented by some kind of negative characterization, what they call the via negativa or whatever. Um, that some people like to use fancy words for. So those are two claims. So let's look at them in turn. So why don't you think you can give a positive characterization? So why isn't, you know, Descartes good enough? Descartes uh, says physical things are extended in space. Physical things are extended in space. and, yeah. and they, I'm not uh, saying that is good enough. I'm just saying why, what, what, what are the problems with that? Why can't that work? It doesn't seem to be good enough for contemporary conceptions of, of what's physical. So what? So say yeah. That's usually what we hear about this kind of thing. But what do we mean by that? So um, Descartes thinks that everything takes up space. Everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, everything physical is yeah. uh, takes up some non-zero amount of space, and um, so that right right there would rule out there being things like point masses. Yeah. But contemporary and physics seems to appeal to things and like fields too. By the way. More importantly than point masses are fields. That's why, physics. why would that rule out fields? They don't take up space. Yeah, they do. They take up all of it. Uh, well, they permeate it or something like that, but they're not taking it up. <laughs> well, they what? Because they don't exclude the presence of anything else. Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, hmm. Yeah, I wonder if the extension thesis involves an exclusion thesis. Probably does because he thinks that all. Physical causation has to do with displacement. Yeah, like, exactly. So, so that's, I mean, now you might, one might wonder, myself personally, I have always wondered how seriously we're supposed to take point masses <laughs> as like real entities that exist. Um, you know, that seems to me fairly ridiculous. Uh, and I understand that physics talks that way, but you know, that's one of, like I've always said, what's one of the promises of string theory um, which is that they don't talk about point masses. They talk about ex one dimensional objects, extended strings. Uh, so it seems to me that yes, the Cartesian hypothesis does put itself at odds with a certain formulation of physics, which is committed to point masses, but is the real physics by which I mean the correct physics of our world committed to point masses. The jury's still out on that. Here's another fact, you know, I, I would say a lot of people would say that what we call the standard model, really is a quantum field theory um, when, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it. And if so, then it really is a string theory at, at its, of course, there's a lot of debate about that and the colliders going on over there and we're still looking for super partners and there's, you know, whatever. But still, if that kind of, if that argument is, is correct and lots of, some people think it's correct, then um, there aren't point masses, there's strings and they sweep out world planes and those are extended objects. Another problem with the Cartesian definition of physical is that it would seem to make space itself not physical. Mm -hmm. Also, time. Not yeah. clear how time would be physical. Right. And you might say that you want those to be physical. Uh-huh. Now, you could say that, yes. <laughs> or you could say that uh, some emerging physics suggests that space itself is an emergent phenomenon. Um, and so that it emerges from a, a, a simpler theory that doesn't exclude, that doesn't include space or gravity um, as fundamental elements. And so, yes, they may not be ultimately physical in the, in the real sense. They may be emergent phenomenon. Um, that, would that be really, Descartes. Why, why wouldn't I be helping Descartes? 
I'm I helping the, the view that uh, the Cartesian. I thought the Cartesian thing was was to give a positive characterization of physical in terms of extension. Yeah. If it turns out that um, space emerges from this uh, this this other stuff, uh -huh. uh, then um, that other stuff wouldn't be physical. What other stuff? Whatever whatever extension emerges from. If if the physical is the extended. Uh huh. And and the and extended stuff emerges from this non-extended stuff, then the non-extended well, stuff is not physical. It's possible, but is fit. That's I mean, physicalism is a claim, like I said, about the mind, or at least one way of viewing it is a claim about the mind, and so it doesn't have to be a claim about the fundamental elements of reality. Is it, it could be? I mean, that's why I wanted to distinguish the earlier thing we were saying because you might want to say yes, everything is physical, and then in this case, that might be a problem, but. If it turns out that uh, you know fu fundamental elements of reality aren't physical, is that is that a problem? If the fundamental elements of physics aren't physical, that would strike a lot of people, including me, as a problem. Why? Why do they call it physics? Because physics is the study of uh, physical stuff. No, of objects and the way they move. Uh huh. Yeah. And if it and if it has to borrow from psychology, that's totally cool. Well, why is it borrowing from psychology? Well, I mean, psychology isn't physics. I, yes, but so I use it as an example of something that isn't physics. If it, here's another way of putting it: if physical theories quantify over uh, things that aren't physical, uh -huh. how is that still physics? Because we're giving an explanation of how the physical things behave. No, why is it required that we give that explanation in terms of other physical things? So the Bible is physics because it gives you explanations of how physical things behave. One, they behave in in ways ordained by God, or you yeah. know, a rock well, got lifted exactly by the angels. Physical theory, it's not a very good one, but absolutely, that's a physical theory. It's been falsified, and we have evidence against it. But why is not a physical theory? It's not a mathematical theory. But I think it's, it's a pretty obvious counterexample to the analysis of physics that you just offered. That anything but it clearly is not a counterexample. The movements of physical objects. That's what physics is. <laughs> physics is a theory about how things behave around here, like tables and chairs. Any and old theory, stars. Any old theory that would uh, purport to explain how physical objects move is itself physics. In the most extended sense of that term, yes, it's not. And the good Bible, physics. <laughs> yeah. So what? It's not well, good. It's, physics. Obviously, Bible is not physics. It could be. Aristotle was doing physics, and he thought that there were these uh, strange things behaving, in, you know, um, uh, final causes and um, internal principles of motion. I mean, that's some very weird stuff. And Barclay thought he was doing physics, and he appeals to God as the ultimate foundation of the universe, and that we exist in the mind of God, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's all, but that's all part of trying to explain what's going on in the physical world. The question, I mean, what we're really getting at is whether we have to go, excuse me? What would be an example of something that isn't physics? Psychology as an explanation of something else besides the behavior of objects. Uh, you know, psychology is a theory about minds, not necessarily an explanation for why things fall or planets orbit or why things slow down as they move and how, why you need to apply a force to move something and, you know, the various things that uh, occur in the physical world by which usually we start with the ostensive definition of tables and chairs and so forth. And so planets. so um, it's, it's never a part of psychology to explain behavior of 
people are animals. That's automatically not psychology. Say again? It's never psychology to explain the behavior of people or animals. It's never psychology to explain the behavior of people and animals? I asked you for an example of something that uses physics. You're breaking up here pretty badly, so I can't really hear you. <laughs> but you're kind of breaking up. So an example of something that isn't physics, um, well, it depends on your views about if you, what sense of physics you're, you're really employing here. So that's kind of, I guess, one of the issues in the background that we're talking about is whether we accept something like the completeness of physics or not. Um, so, but one, one thing that doesn't seem like physics is economics, maybe. Uh, psychology is another thing that doesn't seem like physics. I mean, I think probably they ultimately are. Let's focus but, on economics. So, um, okay. in economics, there's a lot of uh, goods moving around. And goods uh -huh. are physical in many cases. Yes. So that's physics? Well, there's movement in a metaphorical sense or something like that. But uh, What's metaphorical uh, about me shipping a bunch of uh, oil to your Oh, country? right. Well, yeah. So, you know, this, you know, if we want to invoke some Aristotle, we can invoke the distinction, uh, use the word quay. <laughs> so, yes, shipping the oil quay physical object. There's lots of physics involved, obviously. Uh, shipping it quay economic item involves something else. So what is what is that quay stuff? So when I when I when I talk about entities quay physical, yeah, you might say that um, I'm talking about their physical properties, and this presumes that I've got a way of characterizing which properties are the physical properties. Yeah. Um, so you know, a, a bale of hay has economic properties. It's worth like ten euro and twenty five uh, pesos or something like that. Yeah, and it's got aesthetic properties. It's very beautiful, and it's got moral properties. Like you know, it's a bale of hay. It's evil. It is an evil bale of hay. Yeah, um, I'm allergic to hay, so I yeah, I it's, yeah, it's evil. But then it's also got physical properties. It has a certain mass and velocity. Yeah, I mean, I'd say those most of the things you said are physical properties in some sense. I mean, in the sense that I'd use the word physical. So, what does it mean to be physical? We're back to that question. Yeah. Well, I, well, it depends on if you're using it in a narrow or extended sense. So in a narrow sense, the physical things are the things that are extended uh, around what us. What are physical properties? <laughs> if you want to, if you want to physical, talk about... I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I wasn't talking about... But we physical. didn't distinguish between properties and things. We were talking about things. Well, you brought, in, you brought in the quay talk or the qua talk. Yeah, and that's talk often... about different things. Well, one way to think about qua talk is... Uh, it it's a way of talking about different properties of one and the same thing. The example I brought in was the bale of hay. We could talk about it qua economic entity or qua physical entity. Yeah, but that's when two different that, entities, not two different properties. Those are two different entities? You just said entity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, there's one entity. Yeah, the physical entity and the economic entity. There's two entities. Oh, I see. Um, you said that. Not, I mean, I'm just saying that's a natural way of talking. It doesn't automatically invoke properties. We're talking about things. This two th economic things aren't physical things. Well, they are physical things, but they're you know a different kind of physical thing than a um, bale of hay. Is <laughs> in a different sense of physical. An economic bale of hay uh, <laughs> doesn't have a, a, a weight. It doesn't, it doesn't have a mass. Uh, yeah. a physical bale of hay that has a mass. Actually, I guess you know. Maybe you can work this out, but a lot of people yeah. would say the way to work this out is in terms of properties. There's one in the uh -huh. same thing. Um, 
Well, well some of us don't go in much for property talk. I mean, you know, whatever. You could also work it out. But some of us don't go in for qua talk either, or quay yeah. talk. Right. Um, but if you wanted to do the quay talk without properties, you might do it in terms of predicates. Yeah. Exactly. So there's there's a a, a system of um, uh, predicates, a, a theory that uses a bunch of predicates, uh-huh. economic predicates, theory sentences that um, have descriptions composed entirely of economic predicates or economic theories and theories that just use physical predicates are physical theories. But now we can ask a very, a question that's very similar to one that we asked earlier. Yeah. What's a physical predicate? What makes right. a predicate a physical predicate? And if you say, well, it's a predicate in a physical theory, uh, we're in danger of being in a circle. Or it's a predicate, which explains how an object moves. <laughs> But you couldn't, couldn't you have an economic predicate that explains how an object moves? It wouldn't explain why the bale of hail falls to the ground, which is that kind of, and so you, maybe you need to define movement in a more narrow sense, but. It, it fell to the ground because it wasn't worth anything. If it was worth something, people would pick it up and sell it. Uh, yeah, that's a perfectly good. It fell to the ground because explanation. It's not, it's not, I mean, you might try to extend that to other things and see how far you get. And compare that with other physical theories and see how far you get. You know, as far as bales of haze go, Newtonian mechanics is going to outperform any economic theory of their movement, I'm pretty sure. So we're 10 minutes away from needing to take a break. Yeah. Um, do you uh-huh. want to sum up what your view of physicalism is and, what, and also what my view of physicalism is? And then we can talk about some arguments. Yeah, well, my, well I'm, I don't have a view about what physicalism is. That's a, so that's my view about it. <laughs> uh, I think that in my, I have a, the most simple-minded approach that's possible here, which is that I think that when I say that the mind is physical, what I mean is that it's the brain. Um, in any other sense of the terms, I'm not really sure that you were talking about physicalism in a, in a way that makes that I care about. So what I care about is whether you need more than the brain to have a mind. Um, and so that's, to me, the physicalism simply is amounts to the identity theory. So dead, uh, dead people have minds? They don't have. Because uh, they have brains. Well, well I'm, I don't know how many dead people you've seen, but they don't have much of a brain. Some of them, some of them don't have brains. I, yeah, I knew this one guy. It's, it's not just that the brain. So, yeah, you're right. They don't have brains when you're involved. I mean, they have part of a brain, but a large part of the brain is missing, namely all the chemical and um, electrical parts of the brain are missing. So they have some fleshy bits, but that's not all there is to a brain. There are chemical and electrical bits, too. Um, and so the, I know you're looking for function, but you yes, know, uh, <laughs> I know what you're looking for, yeah, but that's, you don't need to appeal to function. You can appeal <laughs> to that's biological. It's so uh, if I take your brain and I put it in a blender, I, I still have all the, the bits, the chemically bits. Yeah. And so I still have the mind. It's just a mind. The blended mind. Yeah. Blended <laughs> mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you're sticking to your guns. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, okay. So you asked me what I think physicalism. That's what I think it is. Everything else. I mean, in fact, I don't think functionalism really is physicalism. I think that's pretty obvious. <gasps> it's not. Oh, man. Um, that it can't really deliver on the commitments that a physicalist should have or ought to have. And that it's, uh, you know, it's a way of sort of saying that the mind happens to be physical, but that's not 
usually, I mean, you know, is there something more, I think, than, than that? Well, can I speak? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, if you want to talk about the mind, and I'm happy to do so, you would have to talk in terms of intentionality and phenomenality. And I think that neither of those things are ontologically simple, that they are ontological complexes. Like, for example, water is an ontological complex. Uh-huh. And um, water resolves ontologically into things that are comparatively more simple and, importantly, not water. And so you could do a similar thing with intentionality and phenomenality, that they resolve into things that um, individually and then you're gonna say are, are neither... Are. They, they resolve in the things that individually are neither intentional nor phenomenal. Yeah. And the way I would do it, the, the resolution uh, process is this, to start with phenomenality. I think mm-hmm. that you could, you could explain phenomenality in terms of intentionality. And I'm increasingly attracted to the higher or thought theory of consciousness. I think uh-huh. I might just come out of the closet any day now. You already alone. did that, so you have. You don't remember, but you've done it at least twice. Without qualification, did yeah. I come all the way out of the closet? You said I'm coming out. <laughs> I'm coming out. Yeah, but you listen to your out. own podcast, dude. <laughs> I said I was coming out, but that you know that's consistent with my legs still being in the closet. No, um, well, good. You I've can take my it. place because I don't think I don't believe the high order thought theories. <laughs> and um, and then you know uh, I think ultimately after you've characterize phenomenality in terms of intentionality, you can give a characterization of intentionality in terms of things that aren't themselves intentional. It, it would be a complex. And, and the way the complex would go would be something like functionalism. But there's a lot of different flavors uh, of functionalism. And the one that I'm more attra- most attracted to these days is uh, Ramsey Lewis functionalism, which in a lot of accounts uh, gives you kind of type identity theory. Mm-hmm. That gives you the kind of brain view that you like it doesn't actually well it gives you brains it it's no, a, it gives you brains here one of the many differences between the two of us is you you care a lot more about modal stuff than i do well no well I, whatever but you don't need the modal stuff you just need you know switchable stuff so when you say brains stuff. brains here you mean in in this possible world no i mean on earth uh-huh yeah that's what I mean. Earth. What about Martian pains? <laughs> you don't know that they have brains. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess I, I thought you had one objection in mind, and now it, it, you, you seem to have another one in mind. Yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you before. What's I don't have them. You assumed that I talked about modal, so I didn't say anything about anything modal. Okay, I apologize. Will you accept my apology? Oh, yeah, sure, 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 sure. All right. <laughs> So all you need is commitments that you yourself have already committed yourself to, which is the Ramsey Lewis kinds of sentences. Um, we'll pick out the roles, or excuse me, the occupiers of various roles, and on Earth those things pick out brains. Mm-hmm. But there's no yeah. guarantee at all that they pick out brains in Martians or in any other kind of potential species encountered in the universe. Right. Um, and you're also committed to the view that there are many different potential kinds of creatures in the universe that have conscious experience, phenomenality, and intentionality, um, yes. but that don't have brains. So therefore, you're Including committed to brains. Yeah, but so by therefore, conclusion of argument, your view commits you to brains here, but only here on but, Earth, not in this possible world, just on Earth. Your tone of voice implies that that's a problem? 
Well, you said falsely that your view gives you brains, type identity, and it does not. It gives you, at best, an identity claim which is local. Oh. Not oh. type identity. Type okay. identity isn't anything like that. It's the more serious claim that only brains. Oh, I see. Yeah. So type identity is that the type, pain, <laughs> is identical to this thing, and you get the brain. Um, it's not the claim that, you know, there's a different kind of identity claim in humans. It's a brain or in earthlings, it's a brain, but, uh, the Ramsey stuff doesn't give you anything remotely like a guarantee that brains are going to be involved unless the world turns out a certain way, in which case by accident, then you could go modal and say, yes, but oh, you just went modal. But anyways, well, that, but that's um, further down the road and not something that you need to do to get to, to get the get what you said. But you you weren't objecting to me. You were just saying I misspoke in characterizing my view, right? I should. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You mean, said that it gets me uh, type identity, and no, 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 no. That's not identity. Is much more serious. But you want you want um, a brain only view. Uh, well, t type identity is a brain only view. No, but what do you, you you don't you don't want there to be to. You don't think there's going to be um, Martians that have pains in their uh, feet, foot bladders, to use Lewis's example. I don't think there's any reason to think that that's what's going to happen, but it could be. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would be bummed out, but I, there's no good evidence or reason to think that at this point. Well, if you cared about modal stuff, you yeah. could say that it could be uh, is accounted for on this kind of functionalism. It allows it to be true that it could be. Yeah, but I wasn't saying that because I don't care about modality. Like, you know, I mean. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that, that's, so that's one, so who cares? Uh, but physicalism is one view, so now we've said what we think it is, but why would anyone believe that? Because it sounds, in my case, it sounds pretty, um, you know, far-fetched to say, well, it's just a brain, and in your case, it sounds even more far-fetched to say, Ramsey sentences give us what's essential to uh, the mind. So why should we believe this, that, you know? You know, we are so close to needing <laughs> to take a break. This would be the perfect time to take a break. Yeah, that's what I thought we were doing. When we come back from the break, why would someone believe physicalism? Scotty. <laughs> No, wait a minute. Oh, damn it. Oh, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You get to say it. <laughs> no, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it so it seems like you got to say, and we're back. I don't want to say it. But you already said it. Well, I take it back. We're uh, not back. <laughs> dude. <laughs>
when you're feeling like a physicalist, what are the reasons that lead you to that? Who me? Oh, uh, you, Richard Brown, like a physicalist. Why would yeah. you be a physicalist? Why I mean, would at this you... point in my life, I don't think there's any good reason to be a physicalist. Holy fuck! <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Uh, yeah. Who you been hanging out with? Just myself and the baby, mostly. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't want to blame your baby for your terrible philosophical views. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But you know that doesn't mean there aren't any reasons. I just don't think there are any good. Not, what by good reason I mean reason that's not question begging. Every every reason you can give begs a question somewhere against someone. Some questions you take serious, others you don't. But you know whatever. That's that's you. Isn't that true of reason in general? Yeah, that's why I don't think there's any good reason to believe much of anything. <laughs> really. So you're a nihilist. No, I just the knowledge isn't metaphysics. I, nihilism. You, be, you believe in nothing. It's not that I believe in nothing. Um, you believe in nothing. I believe, no. <laughs> it's that I just don't find a lot of re a good reasons to believe in stuff. That's wow, yeah. I do. Okay, so why don't, why don't you tell me why you're a physicist? I mean, we know why you're a physicist. You already what? said that when you were eight years old, you looked at a book, it said atoms, and you said, holy shit, this seems true. Now I wanna find out why everything is atoms or something. Um, well, that, that explains what got me on the path. Yeah. But you know, there was a lot of reflection throughout. I kept on uh -huh. thinking about it and wondering about it. Uh -huh. um, I must say that like, you know, part of that eight year old thing, you know, being an eight year old and then, whoa. Yeah. I've been in, for a long time, I've been in the market for a, like a comprehensive view, you right. know, like some kind of classical Greek, everything is blank, fill in the blank. I've, I've always felt like that's the way things gotta be. So yeah. that's like constitutional. I've always been like that. Um, and you know, I wasn't someone born in, um, the year 900 when no one really seemed to know anything. I was someone uh -huh. born after the, the moon <laughs> landing where I was just surrounded by all these people that seemed to know so much. Uh -huh. And, um, as I developed philosophically, it seemed to me that if you wanted to know what's really going on, take a look at who seems to know. And it's, it's people wielding these physical technologies and the physical technologies emanate from the physical sciences. So it seemed to me that the, really the, a, a good um, default view or initial view is to see how far you can go with that. Can you, can you explain everything in the way in which it seemed like people were explaining genetic inheritance and the spread of disease and flight? Yeah. Um, and so I really, you know, I got in my teens, I got really interested in uh, artificial intelligence type stuff. In high school, I came across Dennett and, and Hofstetter. And yeah, that just seemed like, yeah, that could work. That could really work. Mm -hmm. I, I must say, you know, like one, one of the papers that I just spent so much time thinking about was Nagel, what is it like to be a bat? That was in that um, Dennett and Hofstetter anthology, The Mind's Eye. In a lot of ways, a uh, central piece in that anthology, because both of those guys are reacting, both Hofstadter and Dennett are reacting against Nagel. Yeah. Yeah, I've really, I've, I've really uh, felt that you could pull it off. You can, you can uh, answer the, the Nagel thing. Now, you might wonder how to, how to put any of this in, in terms of an argument, and you might later come along and say that it's all question begging, as are all arguments, according to you. But, but one kind of argument is an inductive argument. So many other things have turned out to be physical, like, for example, reproduction. Um, 
you know, there was a time in the history of, of science, uh, you know, this is up until the 20th century, people weren't sure whether uh, biological reproduction was something that you could give a physical account of. And the computer scientist and mathematician John von Neumann invented cellular automata to address this question. And he, um, he made this, it was amazing, he did it all on pencil and paper. We're used to cellular automata as things on computer screens like uh, John Conway's The Game of Life, but he came up with this um, cellular automaton, which it, in a sense of mechanical, uh, is operating on purely mechanical procedures. And within that automaton, he created a pattern, which was a universal constructor, which means that it was able to construct any pattern that um, could be instantiated within that cellular automaton. Um, and that, mean, that means it could make a copy of itself. And people can see YouTube videos of this thing. It's pretty amazing that he worked this all out uh, by pencil and paper. But anyway, um, yeah, there's this kind of inductive argument. You could say all these other things have fallen to a kind of um, reductive program where you're explaining things in terms of relative ontological symbols. And so um, there's a good reason to think the mind is going to turn out that way. And when you when you turn to positive proposals for how to how to explain mental stuff, like for example, uh, with with respect to consciousness, I think um, some synthesis of of uh, Dennett's multiple drafts theory and Rosenthal's higher order uh, thought theory, it it addresses everything that seems to me to need to be addressed. An another kind of argument, which you know. Um, I, I don't, I don't think this has had as much of an influence on me, but it's the causal, the causal argument, uh, the causal completeness argument. This is the thing that's central to that Papineau paper that you mentioned last episode. But yeah, the causal closure argument was the one that got me when I was young. That was the one that most influenced me. So there, so we've got the inductive argument. There's the causal closure argument. Yeah, but none of those are good arguments. I mean, well, you don't think any arguments are good arguments. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, if you so depends what? what you mean by good argument, uh, there are, and there are grades of worse arguments. <laughs> so, good argument, I would say, is one that um, doesn't beg any questions. I would say so. An ultimately good argument is one that doesn't beg any questions. But you know, there's always there's always someone you can beg a question against, and then the question is, well, are you begging any like really important questions? Um, then of course, what do you mean by important? So that's where I think the quagmire really starts. But uh, so the causal closure argument, I think, is a good one. But why believe that it's true? I mean, certainly, um, it's not obvious that it's true. If you look at the, I mean, I kind of think it's an inductive claim, like you were saying. So I think that mostly what you're going to get is inductive arguments. And I do think it's interesting that uh, that the arguments against physicalism are all a priori arguments for the most part. Uh, there's kind of non a priori arguments ones that look kind of non a priori when they attack specific claims about consciousness theories, but that depends on these other What do you things. have in mind when you say the non a priori arguments? Uh, Examples? Well, um, what, I, what I had in mind, which maybe isn't what I, what I was mumbling about when you just asked me that, was that I don't think it's strictly, technically speaking, not really dependent on something a priori, but it looks like it when they challenge a specific theory of consciousness as not adequate or something like that. So if you have a physicalist who comes on and says, oh, here's attention, um, attention, uh, uh, consciousness is just attention. And then someone says, ah, well, you know, um, 
that theory doesn't work because it doesn't capture our blah, blah, blahs about the unity of consciousness, which is, you know, not an a priori claim, but a kind of claim based on experience of, of unity of consciousness. Now, of course, back in the background, probably some a priori claims about, or things that depend on a priori claims, but it doesn't immediately seem like something that's a priori when you say consciousness is unified, because that depends on introspection. Um, it depends on you uh, determining from your own point of view, or your own case that consciousness is unified in a certain way, and then using that as a premise in an argument. So that doesn't seem to me to be, uh, strictly speaking, an, an a priori argument. That seems a priori to you? Uh, I think, yeah, I think m m most of the interesting uh, parts of the argument are a priori. Would, you the know, premise so that consciousness is unified isn't, that depends on introspection. Well, the <laughs> what's properly a posteriori is that it seems like it's unified. Yeah. Whether you can move from there to anything else is going to de depend on certain a priori or alleged a priori principles, and, and that's where the interesting action is at. And it, it might, but it might not. So that's what I was saying: is it might go back and depend on a priori stuff. But at least there are some, and that's just one kind of example, I think, um, where you look at a specific theory and then, uh, I mean, you know. So let's talk about uh, causal closures, the gist of which yeah. is that every, every um, physical thing which is an effect has a fully physical cause. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair characterization of the, the gist or the heart? Yeah, I guess it's usually characterized in terms of sufficient. It's got a, every physical effect has a sufficient physical cause. And then you need to technically formally combine that with a claim about no overdetermination to really get the... Uh, well, I thought the word fully would. Yeah, but that's why I said there's really two separate claims in there. One is that there's a, every physical thing has a sufficient physical cause and mm -hmm. also no other causes. Those are two yeah. different claims. All right, fair enough. I thought fully would have covered that. It does cover it, but I was just saying that hidden in there is really two fair claims. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Yes. And you, you don't like that argument or you think it's uh, question begging in an interesting sense? Um, well, I think it's not obvious that, uh, that it's true, <laughs> if that's what you mean. Well, nothing's obviously true. Yeah. It's so, but that's not interesting. Um, well, there's certainly not any not good conclusive reason to think that it's true. That's, it doesn't seem like science depends on it. Um, what does seem to be the case is that so far in our explanation of how the brain works, we haven't had to appeal to anything that goes outside the physical realm. Unless, of course, you think that things appealing to something mental is appealing to something outside the physical realm, in which case all bets are off. I mean, that then it depends on antecedent views and question begging insists. <laughs> so that's where I think you get, you get a real uh, quagmire there. And then the second issue is, you know, there are views like panpsychism, which, which allow, or at least Rossellian monism and those versions of it, which allow that the uh, fundamental phenomenal properties have causal properties. Um, they have the same, if, if redness is the intrinsic nature of an electron, then all the electrons' causal properties are rednesses' causal properties as well. So I, I'm Why does, what what? Well, if you, if the intrinsic nature of something, um, so if 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 an accidental feature of something has a causal property, but why is the intrinsic nature of that thing? Then why has that accidental feature, namely the causal property? I'm not sure that makes any sense. So what are you um, talking about? <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so um, 
if um, if a bowling ball has got a bunch of properties, yeah, and uh, it you drop it on my foot and it breaks my foot, okay, and one of those properties is this intrinsic phenomenal property, yes, then it it broke my foot in virtue of having that intrinsic phenomenal property. Uh, yes. Couldn't it have broken my foot even if it had some other intrinsic phenomenal property? Yeah, but why is that relevant? Well, then it, it doesn't, I don't see how you get in virtue of then. Well, why not? So look, so does that, a, does a, listen, example. Key, be serious for a second. Does I am being bird, serious. It does not quite. Does a bird fly on earth by flapping its wings in virtue of flapping its wings? Yeah, sure. Could there be other possible ways that birds could fly? Yeah. Yeah. So does that show you anything at all about whether they flap their wings and it's in virtue of their wing flapping that they're flying around here? I mean, I think, I really? think you're misunderstanding the example. So um, okay. suppose there's a bird that's purple. Yeah. Um, and it That's not an intrinsic feature of it. That's it. Uh, in, in, this, in the example that you're using. It's a property of it. Suppose yeah. it flaps its wings and it's purple. Right. Um, and there's another bird that flaps its wings and it's turquoise. Yes. Is the is the turquoise bird flying in virtue of being turquoise? It depends on whether you're assuming that flapping its wings is grounded in or depends on, in some important sense, the purpleness, which in this case, it doesn't sound like you do, so no. But if it is, okay, okay, okay. it's nature, it's fundamental nature to be that way, then yes, it does. But I, I, don't, I don't understand how, how flapping could be grounded in something intrinsic. Uh, it seems to me that what, well, whatever an intrinsic property would be, it would be importantly analogous to being purple versus being turquoise. And I don't see how that's uh -huh. going to get you the, the in virtue of that. It's that it's a, in virtue of, yeah. of having this phenomenal intrinsic phenomenal property, like phenomenal purpleness. Yes. It's yes. A, a, a flapper. It's flapping its wings. I don't get it. I, uh, I don't get the, uh, the grounding picture suppose that the wings are made up of uh, protons and electrons okay <laughs> assume that yeah, for sure. instance. <laughs> right okay so what are protons and electrons well if they really turn out to be at the deepest level purple things mm -hmm. then the electrons really are purple things here <laughs> I mean, they're, that's what they're constituted by. That's well, what they it, it's are. It's true that they're sense. purple, yeah. but I don't. I don't see that you get the in virtue of that. It's flapping in virtue of being purple. Uh, well, you get that it's flapping in virtue of its wings moving or something, but that stuff is constituted by these the, these other properties. I mean, why but, why does water get to be wet? Because it's constituted by these other properties which behave in a certain way. So. It's, so if, if you can say that um, the water is wet in virtue of its fundamental constitution, then it's the same here. But if something else could have done the job equally well, then uh -huh. isn't it irrelevant to the explanation? It's irrelevant to the explanation in that other situation maybe, but not in this situation. I don't, I, that something else could have done it simply shows that there are different ways to do it. It doesn't show that this isn't one. Yeah, I guess part of what's at stake here is individuating ways. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying that there's a coherent view there. It's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just that there's a, there's a claim about which things, so you could have all the same, uh, according to this view, you could have all the same uh, relations between electrons and protons with different fundamental constituents being their intrinsic natures, their uh, inscrutable Russellian hidden nature. So some of those could be like consciousness properties or something. And other of them could be, there might not be anything there that would be alleged zombie world, according to them. Um, or there may be other weird properties that aren't phenomenal at all, but which play these roles. And in those cases, then you would have all the same um, stuff going on, but being produced in a different way. That's certainly, I mean, you know, not at odds. Well, just like we were saying last time, we fly using fixed wing propellants. Um, birds flap their wings. There are multiple ways to fly. But that doesn't show that in a world where birds flew like the way airplanes fly here, that that shows that there's something wrong about our explanation of how they fly in terms of their uh, fundamental constituents. Let me try a slightly different. Uh, even like, just before you do that, even in a world where they weren't made of electrons or quarks, so imagine some weird. Going. Yeah, yeah. So so even there, they could still flap their wings and. Uh, right. So imagine there's uh, some anti-birds, and they're made out of antimatter. They. Right. Uh, um, instead of having nitrogen and oxygen inside of them, they have anti-nitrogen and anti-oxygen. And those yeah. atoms are composed just like the atoms around here, except instead of electrons, they have positrons. Yeah, different charge. <clears throat> instead of protons, they have antiprotons. So it's antimatter instead of matter. Yeah. Um, now, uh, why are the, how, how, are, how is it that these, that the birds are uh, flying? Are they flying because they have propellers? No, they're flying because they have wings and they're flapping their wings. Right. Um, the, the explanation for why they're flapping seems to be the same. The laws that govern them seem to be the same. The fact that the one is made out of matter and the other is made out of antimatter seems to me to be irrelevant. Mass is going to matter. Yeah. Um, and what's going <laughs> to... Mass is going to be important, but they yeah. both have mass. Um, differences in electric charge are going to be important. They both yeah, but what is mass? That's but, the question. They both have mass, but what is that? Well, it's something that you could define in a way that it's not going to be specific to just one of the worlds. It's going to be common between the two of them. Absolutely. So it doesn't make sense to me then for someone to say the the, the birds flapping is grounded in um, electrons and protons. What it's grounded in is something like the difference in charge between electrons and protons. But that difference is exactly the same difference as the difference in charge between positrons and antiprotons. Yes. So I, I'm not, I mean, if that's supposed to be a good analogy for this Rossellian monism thing. Well, but what's, what's, the, what's the problem? About Rossellian monism. What's the what problem? Have you thought you unearthed that's not a problem? The problem is I don't, I don't see that you have a true in virtue of statement. It's not true that the bird is flying in virtue of being made out of antimatter. Uh -huh. That it's made it's out of antimatter is irrelevant. It, it depends on whether the, how the grounding or in virtue relationship works. So it's flapping its wings in virtue of certain muscle contractions. It's having certain muscle contractions in virtue of its being composed out of certain physical attributes, in one case of positrons, in the other case electrons. But what matters is that there's a difference in the charges. If we get, you know, there's going to be a point where we get down to uh, the chemical properties, and the chemical right. properties are going to be governed by differences in charge. These yeah. things 
things are going to be attracted. If they have the same charge, they're going to be repelled if they have different charges. Yeah. But at a, at a deeper level, it doesn't matter whether the this charged massive particle in the nucleus is uh, positively charged versus negatively charged. All that matters yeah. is that the that it's got the opposite charge of the orbiting particle. Or another way to put it is, yes, exactly. There are many different ways to do the same thing. Here's two different ways to do the same thing. And, and it in, doesn't show that one of them isn't a way to do it. One is a way to do it. So is the other. They don't rule each other out. No, it seems like they are that that they have the, this specific intrinsic property is irrelevant. That there's a pattern of uh, it's not irrelevant because if they had important. no charge, it, it, they wouldn't do anything. That's true. So, if they had so no it's not charge, irrelevant. There has to be a system of relations in place, and as long as you have some intrinsic properties that prop up the system of relations, then everything else gets wrong. Actually, I think you could so do it without those. Even you could just have weird causal gaps and strange, uh, strange uh, spontaneous events and so forth. But I mean, there's nothing incoherent about that kind of view. It'll just be very, very strange. Um, well, I don't, I don't see how that's supposed to help the, the Rossellian monist. If, if, that's a po if that's a possibility, then what do we even need the theory for? Well, what we want to, what are we given a theory of? Uh, we're trying to explain um, how the things around here behave. And if you tell me that they behave this way and that way because of electrons, and then I find out electrons really are constituted by something else, then I've really found out something about that other thing. Just yeah, like it, if you tell me how water behaves, and then I found out water is really hydrogen and oxygen, then mm -hmm. I found out something about hydrogen and oxygen and the way it behaves. Yeah, but all that matters for hydrogen and oxygen is a, is a system of differences, and it doesn't matter what the particular intrinsic properties are that prop up. Yeah, so those. maybe the intrinsic proper, different intrinsic properties can have the same causal features. I don't see why that's supposed to be any kind of issue. <laughs> um, well, so, it, yes, there are many different, there are many different, so you have the same set of causal relationships and then you can, it's an open question, what kind of intrinsic features, if any, there are of the system. There may be none, there may be some, they may be this kind, they may be that kind, but whatever kind they are, those are the ones that have the causal properties in that, in that system. Yeah, I guess I'm not seeing, if, if they are that interchangeable, that it's not really true that they have the, the causal oomph. It's not really true that they're, well, you haven't shown any reason to think to just, that. What you've just said is, I don't well, think you didn't that. like it. You didn't like their my reasoning. Well, there was no reasoning. What you said is, look, they both do the same thing. Therefore, that's not working this way. This is bad reasoning. But look, part of part of what's going on here is that this is supposed to give us some kind of like true in virtue of statement. That it's it's in virtue. Well, I don't know what that really means, but what it's supposed to do is we're supposed to find out what electrons really are, what mass really is. And you may say mass simply is a relationship of its blah, 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 exhausted by you know, equations. Okay, so that's one theory about what mass is. There's another theory about what mass is, which is um, the causal properties of mass are an accidental feature of the intrinsic thing. That, and they're that in different intrinsical things, just like a table can be read and a chair can be read and a jacket can be read, many different things can have that accidental feature. The claim here would be, Many different intrinsic properties, uh, who knows how many, but at least a few could have the same accidental features, the same things which aren't intrinsic to them, but merely relational, and that's all this causal stuff. But still, it would be that thing which has these causal relations in this case, and a different thing over there that had these causal relations. But I don't, I don't, I don't like that, that view. But if they're accidental, that that's going to give you the kinds of explanations that you want. So 
if, if all we're if, if all you're getting from this theory is a bunch of things that are accidentally true of the thing in question, you know, for example, like uh, here's something that's accidentally true of these particles. Some of them have been within three feet of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. But I want to know why the um, why my hand is going up. I want to know why um, you're getting a beer out of the refrigerator. Yeah. We're going to appeal to some of the those properties and not others. Yeah. Uh, some of those will give us the explanation. Some of this will ground the truth of an in virtue statement, and some of them won't. You're not right. getting the beer out of the refrigerator because some of the particles in your body have once been within three feet of the Eiffel Tower. Yes. Yes, it's true that they have been within three feet of the Eiffel Tower, but it's not relevant. So the question has to but do with other relevance. accidental features may be relevant, like that it's positively or charged or negatively charged. So yeah, not every contingent property uh, that some object has is going to figure in these kinds of explanations. But that doesn't mean that no contingent property of these things figures in those kinds of explanations. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm still not seeing it. I, I see it as a, it's a big old beetle in the box. Well, it just depends. You're just not taking the view seriously. So if you really I'm taking believe, it very seriously, and I it's think it's not it's not clear that that's happening. Since if you really took seriously the claim that what this thing is, like think about water. Water is H2O. So water's causal properties are H2O's causal properties. They're the same because that's what that thing really is. So if you think that an electron really is a red quale. I'm not saying that's too simple, but if you really think that, then the electron's properties are realized or constant or a product of that thing. It's just that's it's just taking the claim seriously. That that's what that thing really is here. It's not. It's it's talking about how the uh, so mass is a thing. It's got certain properties. You may think that's all there is to it, but there may be something else. Something that mass really is in its fundamental nature and in this prop in this claim that that claim is that uh it's a certain feature of that that it has these phenomenal aspects and so you're saying you can vary that and that doesn't seem to be part of the explanation but in in some sense you're right in a different world the explanation can be grounded in a different set of intrinsic properties so in virtue of those things it would be that way there but it's just not the case that that means that it's not that way here. Now, I don't believe that view. I just think that, you know, you haven't really given any good reasons to think it's false, except to say, you know, I don't see how the grounding relationship is going to be cashed out. But that's just not to take seriously that the things are grounded in, in that way. Um, I'm trying to take it seriously. But I'm failing, and maybe I'm failing because I'm stupid. Suppose that but you here's have another. It's not that you're stupid; it's you're being willfully, willfully malicious. No, I'm not being willfully <laughs> malicious. Um, okay. <laughs> you're being willfully malicious and saying that I'm being willfully malicious. Uh, here's another complaint. Um, you're being willfully malicious and saying that I'm being willfully malicious. That's an uncharitable. Willfully malicious. <laughs> um, I don't see why we should believe that there are any intrinsic properties. Yeah, see, that's really what you're trying to say. That's uh, no, no, no. I've, that's the second thing. I've got a third. Thing. <laughs> no, no, that's the first thing. You I, I, the third thing is I don't see what, why, if there are intrinsic properties, we should believe that they're they have anything to do with phenomenality or consciousness. But by the yeah. way, we have less than two minutes left. Yeah, uh, I mean, causal closure. You know that some people. So I was reading this paper recently by this guy Robin Collins. You know who that guy is? No. Uh, he has some paper in this book, which is, um, what's the book called? The Soul Hypothesis or something like that. So there's Sounds terrible. a bunch of dualists. It's actually, I mean, there's some good papers in there, but yeah, it's, it's from a dualist perspective. So, okay. Anyway, uh, Soul Hypothesis. 
Yeah. So one of the things that people talk about is conservation of energy. And so there are lots of issues with that, like with in quantum mechanics and relativity theory, which I'm, you know, not sure how serious that stuff is. Uh, I mean, in relativity theory, I think it's pretty serious, but there are ways of maneuver around it, I think. Um, but one of the things that they that he talks a lot about in that paper is how entanglement um, is going to be an issue here because you get these kinds of correlations without exchanges of energy. And so he wonders whether or not there could be other kinds of things that you could get without exchanges of energy. I'm not really sure what to think about that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think it gives you the kinds of things we're talking about. I think that uh, as far as causal properties go and so forth, you don't get out of that worry. But I do wonder about conservation of energy. And I, um, I do wonder how, you know, how, how much of it, uh, people thinking about conservation of energy and causal closure really is left over from physics of, uh, you know, the 19th century and how much of that really translates into post, you know, into quantum field theory, basically, or into things that we are going to recognize as physics of the 21st century. Um, it, it, I'm not saying that it doesn't. What I'm saying is it's not clear to me, at least, that there's any real significant problem with causal closure uh, for dualist theories. I, I just don't know what... what it would be nice if there were. <laughs> I would like that, but I just don't think that there really is at this point a serious problem. Um, well, I do. Yeah, lots of people do, but I mean, you know, how much of this is a hundred years from now when we look back at, you know, how much of this is going to look really silly? I mean, I must say that I, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier today that I'm not super into the causal closure arguments and. Well, one of the one of the things is that I think that a lot of the the participants over um, they overestimate how much causality and how much law like behavior there is. Yeah. That you know, I you know I suspect things are much messier in in the universe, and this view Absolutely. of the physical that you get from from Davidson, where there's all these laws and everything yeah. is subsumed under can be everything that happens that isn't mental can be subsumed under a law. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure about that. Um, right. I think, you know, I, I'm more, the older I get, I get more Humean about this stuff. And there's uh -huh. things happening and there's certain patterns. And some of the, <laughs> some of the patterns are messier than others. The, yeah. They're more strict <laughs> than others. And um, with that kind of view, it's hard to get excited about so-called closure. Yeah, it's probably the case that Hume wasn't a physicalist too, right? I mean, he couldn't have been, or he was agnostic at least about it. He thought it was a meaningless question or something. That that would have to be his view. Um, yeah, Hume's a tough cookie. I'm inclined to read him that way. That mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's these things that that are happening, and uh, you want to yeah, he's kind of neutral. Kind of new, you can group them in various ways or whatever. I mean, the the human who's really kind of the closest to a physicalist is David Lewis, but I don't think he really captures what physicalists like. So, for instance, what I said here. So, the way to wrap this all up, I guess, is what I was saying earlier. What I think physicalism is is the view that the mind is essentially physical. That's that's what its nature is to be physical. Um, that it's not an accidental feature of the mind that it's that it's physical. It's not a contingent feature of the mind that it's physical. It's it's not. Uh, um, a, a claim like that. So I don't think it's a contingent feature of, you know, uh, water that is H2O. I think that's a necessary feature of water. 
um, that it's H2O. And, you know, you can tell interesting stories about that. So what I would say is that the physical, physicalism is a claim that the mind is essentially physical, um, that by nature it's physical, by its nature, excuse me. Uh, and functionalism, I don't think, captures that view. In fact, I, I think that uh, according to the functionalists, it's not essentially the case that the mind is physical. It's a happy accident that the functional profile seems to be picking out something physical here. But it certainly is not by its nature something physical. It's by its nature something functional, which is sort of in a weird abstract. I mean, when you really, really think about functional, if you like machine functionalism, which says stuff about abstract machine tables and computations, those are abstract objects. It's not even 100% clear, you know. Okay, so the brain instantiates some weird abstract objects according to this functionalist view, and that's calling the brain the mind, I guess, but the mind is not essentially physical in this sense. It's some abstract thing, which happens to be realized or instantiated or you know, built out of uh, uh, some physical stuff around here. But that doesn't satisfy me as far as physicalism goes. If that were the case, I would say that physicalism had lost an important battle, uh, a battle about what the true nature of the mind is, whether it's physical or not. That doesn't seem to me to be enough. Now, roughly speaking, this is kind of what Ned Block says in his, um, his paper. He has this paper called, uh, I guess it's coming out in a, a festrif for Jigon Kim, I think. Um, it's called uh, Canberra Plan Negrex Ground or something like that. But I take that stuff seriously. So now you may, call, you may say that's physicalism overboard or overload or, uh, overload or something and that physicalists don't need to say anything about essential natures or what yeah what. can i can i say something and, and yeah pick up please. On that point yeah uh, i'm not uh, super inclined to try to state my views in terms of what's essential or what's necessary versus what's merely contingent mm -hmm. i think everything is contingent um but it seems Even. to me to be <laughs> important is, uh, is it contingent that everything is contingent yes wow all is <laughs> <laughs> so that means that, so there's, that some places it's necessary. <laughs> anyway, go on. it's all chaos. <laughs> I think that the main way in which we use words mm -hmm. like belief and desire um, have to do with what you might say are uh, coarse grained functional characteristics that we don't really care about chemical composition or um, uh, biological details mm -hmm. that um, so if you look to the use of these words uh, and, and try to understand like what props up that use or what governs uh, the, that use you get something like a, a functionalist characterization that it, it doesn't really um, it doesn't really matter to us We've been using these words for 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 a long time, uh, way back when people thought maybe the source of uh, beliefs and, and feeling was the heart instead of the brain. Yeah. So um, it's part of the the meaning or the use of those words to be uh, cut free of uh, those kinds of uh, specifics of constitution. So that's mm -hmm. that's why I'm inclined. But why why doesn't lightning and water go that way? I think that lightning uh, and water goes that way also. Oh, so you yeah. don't think lightning is essentially electricity? Nothing is essentially anything. There are no essences. Uh -huh. I think that there are these, uh, these functionalist um, characterizations. We characterize things in terms of, of what they do. Yeah. And it's, 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 you know, if you want some kind of ultimate view, uh, it's going to be structure all the way down or, or what things do all the way down. Yeah. But this 
um, this distinction between what things are made out of uh, and what they do, and that somehow reference uh, hooks on to these essences, and the essences have to do with non-functional constitution. I just don't, I don't feel the pull. Yeah, the the, the alleged arguments in in favor of that. Right, there are no arguments coming from your side against it either. But oh, there are lots of arguments. You just don't like them. You've deemed uh, them bad by willfully misunderstanding them. Uh, no, I, actually, it's pretty clear, I think, by now that your whole view is colored by an inability to really take seriously the view that there are essential properties or I'm, intrinsic natures. Seriously. And I don't think so. Not really in the sense of thinking that it's true or could be true. I, 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 I don't really think that you can picture how the world would be um, if that were true, which, which is fine. You know, I can't picture the world being you know, having ectoplasm in it. That, that's a, a thing I just find. I think out. I'm mentally flexible. I, I could, I could imagine like Dungeons and Dragons being true. And I, I've uh-huh. got a, you know, I think Harry Potter, like I could, <laughs> I could fully imagine Harry Potter. Like, you just <laughs> yeah. walk through a wall and then someone tries to chase you through the wall and they can't make it through the wall. There's nowhere in there anything about essential right. natures. I could do it all. You could Man. do it all. Absolutely. We could, <laughs> we could wrap it up. Yeah. A student is going to burst into your office any minute now. What are you going to, what are you going to tell them? I was uh, podcasting. Do you, do you want your students to know? Uh, somehow they know already. I don't know how they know, but yeah. Anyway, um, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Wrapped. All right, dude. That was a very good conversation. Yeah. Once again, uh, I think we agree on everything. Uh huh. It's, it's kind of amazing. Well, since I don't really believe anything, yeah, sure. <laughs> we can agree on anything you want. I, it's, I, it's not that I don't believe anything. I, I think that there are reasons to partially believe lots of stuff and reasons to disbelieve. I mean, I just, uh, you know, you could pick one, but that seems to me to be boxing yourself in. That's what I, I do. You know, I like boxing myself in. It would be nice to, to you know, have, I'll, I'll just leave, I'll, my final comment would be, it would be nice to, to be able to think about the a thousand years from now or 10,000 years from now and to 50,000 years from now, a hundred thousand, a billion years from now. And to, and to think that, uh, you know, the kinds of things we're arguing and talking about are going to look as silly then as the kinds of things that Aristotle argued about look to us. So whether the object moves itself to the ground, we laugh at him. Ha ha ha. Uh, we talk about gravity and well, well what is gravity? You know, well, we, no one really knows, but everyone acts like it's obvious. So I, I think that we're going to continue on this path um, and that uh, many questions are still very much wide open and that when we, when we sort of say, yes, I believe this or I believe that, we, we limit our options. Well, <laughs> I you want to talk about there. the future philosophy next time? Oh, yeah. It lies with artificial intelligence, yes. We just plug yep. it all in. They'll solve all our problems and tell us what we did wrong. <laughs> no, but yeah, sure. That would be good. Absolutely. The future of philosophy. And does it have one? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs>
mind 